Amen. Thank you, Brandon, for leading us in prayer this morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Can you show your appreciation to them as our kids are departing and headed to their, uh, to their classrooms? My name is Colby Garman. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read verses 9 through 12. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar, and it is Heart for the Nation Sunday. Let me tell you what that is if you've never been here. Uh, every year... On one of the Sundays closest to Valentine's Day, we put our attention on God's heart for the nations because we believe God's mission of the gospel is driven by his love for peoples in every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so we want to make sure that we uh, at least take one Sunday a year where we just give the entire focus to thinking about what does it mean for us to be a part of a global people who are fulfilling God's mission. And so we're in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12 this morning, taking a short break from our uh, series in Mark to focus on these words. It says this in verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for these words, and we pray that as we consider them this morning, Lord, that you would give us a sense of vision and clarity, Lord, about what your mission is and how you've called us to be a part of it. God, give us deeper conviction, Lord, of your love for the nations, your love for us, Lord, that we might be filled with a present hope. Lord, as we carry your gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, it's hard for the nation Sunday, and I'm going to try to do a couple things this morning. It's going to be a little bit different than maybe uh, just focusing on one text and applying it. Uh, we're going to do a couple things. One, I'm going to try to give you just a basic biblical theological basis for our church being engaged in global missions. And I'm not going to do that extensively, but from this passage, I think I can help you get a sense of why that is the case. The second thing is, is I'm going to share some stories. Uh, we're going to share some stories of engagement. i got some people who are going to come up and help uh, share a few testimonies and stories of ways they're engaging, ways you might be able to also engage. And then I'm going to share a little bit of vision for what is possible in the days ahead, how you might be involved, and what it looks like for us to be a part of a church that embraces God's heart for the nation. So I'm going to do those three things, and I want to start by just digging into this passage that we've read this morning. And to, to do it, I want, to, uh, I want to think a little bit about an experience I had a few years ago at Christmas putting a puzzle together. Uh, you don't have to admit it whether you like puzzles, but everybody's put a puzzle. Anybody ever put a puzzle together that's like 2,500 pieces? Yeah, we've got a few of them. Yep. 
There's a few people. How about a thousand? If you've been done a thousand, all right, that's more of us. Let's get let's get everybody involved in here. How about a hundred? All right, all right. Here we go. Anybody done a ten-piece puzzle? All right, good. Yeah, well, a couple years ago at Christmas, we were out there, and we're, we're uh, you know, they decided to get this big puzzle out, and I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews and my parents, um, and, you know, like I said, it's like probably, it was like a thousand, fifteen hundred pieces. I'd never done a puzzle that big. I don't really have the attention span for that, but... Um, you know, every now and then I would kind of walk by and I wasn't even paying, I didn't have a picture. I had no box, they were looking at it, but I would just start looking at the puzzle pieces and trying to figure out, could I figure out where any of this goes? And of course, um, you know, it wasn't really easy to do. So eventually I got the box and I looked at the picture and, and, and so, you know, with the picture there, you can make guesses about where pieces belong because of the colors and design. And you guys know how to put together a puzzle. The picture is really necessary, isn't it? I mean, just imagine trying to put a puzzle together that you do not have any picture for. You know, you're there and there's just a thousand pieces out there. You have no idea what, it, what the picture is and you're just having to put that together. Without a frame of reference for the end design, it, it would be difficult to figure out how all of these little pieces are going to go together. I think that's a good picture of what a lot of churches try to do as they figure out their mission. They're, they're like a, you know, if, if, we, if we're like a, you know, 250 person puzzle piece in this room, you know, and we're a part of that puzzle, you know, the uh, churches, they, they often, what they do, they're, they're like a pile of puzzle pieces that seemingly belong together, but have little sense about what the picture they are arranged and brought together to complete really is. But that's not just a problem for churches. What about your life as an individual? Like when you think about like what is your grand purpose that God has made you for? Why has God put you in this time and place? Brought you to himself? What picture is it meant to display and who are you to display it with? How does it fit together with those around you? What sort of image or vision gives it purpose that goes beyond just your life? How you answer these basic questions about the big purpose of your life and the big purpose of the church will determine what you pursue today and how you make decisions and what you value and give your life to contribute to. And it does so also for our church. And so I got a really simple point that I think we see in this text that I want you to follow along and think about this morning. And it's this, in the context of the book of Revelation, particularly in Revelation 7, 9 to 12, these verses provide a culminating vision of God's saving work in Christ being celebrated around his throne. What you see here, and I don't have time to explain the whole book of Revelation. Some of you are like, I'd love if you did that. Like that's the book I've been waiting for you to preach on. I would invite my friends. Well, we're not going to do that today. But, but listen, right here, what this is a picture of is a culminating vision of Christ's completed mission. The mission of Christ and his body completed and now gathered and celebrating around his throne at the end of time. 
It's the completed picture of the puzzle of what God is doing through Christ and His church as we proclaim the good news of Jesus both here and around the world. And there's some things I want you to see and understand about this completed picture so you know that we're not just some church located in an out-of-the-way place like Dumfries at a strange time in history, but that we fit in. We're, we're actually a part of a global purpose. That God is fulfilling. So here's the point of the sermon. We gain clarity for our mission as we look at the culminating vision. We gain clarity for our mission. We become clear about what our mission is really about. When we look at a culminating vision like this that arranges its purpose. And so that's the point of the sermon, and I'm going to show it to us in a couple of ways as we, as we look at what we get a clear picture of as we see these verses. But, you know, it's really important that we see this culminating vision so that we know how to fit ourselves and our life into it. Now, let me do you a favor today. Let me let you off the hook from feeling guilty for living in the United States of America and not living on the mission field. Because some of you are like, man, I came to the wrong service. I'm not going anywhere. And you know, perhaps God has a purpose for your mission right here in this community. We're all living here. I'm living here too. I served overseas as a missionary and I've wrestled with the reality of that calling. God clearly brought us back, put us here uh, for a time and a purpose. And I've had to hold that with open hands. And obviously I have not gone back overseas (laughs) But, you know, this isn't about just any one of us as individuals. It's about building a culture as a church where we say we're praying, we're asking, we're supporting, we're ready to do whatever God would call us to do in his mission. And we know with clarity what that mission is globally, so we know how to participate locally. Your ability to participate in a life-giving, mission-sending, and supporting body is dependent on you having the clarity that a picture in this passage presents to you and so we gain clarity for our mission as we look at the culminating vision here's the first way we see it in this passage we get a clear picture of our people we get a clear picture of our people if you're a christian here today in the deepest sense of the word the vision here answers the question who are your people who do you belong to Societies all across the world wrestle with this question. Who belongs here and who doesn't? Man, I mean, (laughs) right into the middle of our political season, right? That's all right. You can nervously laugh. It's fine. We're not going to go deep down that well today. But people are asking in our country, who belongs here? Who's our people? People wrestle with that. In a whole lot of different contexts. Who are my people? We find our identities in a variety of ways. And I'm going to need you to kind of get into this a little bit in a moment. Coffee drinkers? Some of you are like, coffee drinkers are my people. I mean, I'm too deep already today. I'm going to get, I probably hit four before the day's over. I got to preach at two today, too, at another church. Coffee drinkers? Knitting? Any knitters out there? They're your people. Pennsylvanians, where are my Pennsylvanians at? 
Oh, there's like four of us. <laughs> Texans, any Texans in the house? Yeah, see, I know, it's so hard. You guys always come strong. Maybe you're like, Texans are my people. Dunk contest fans? Anybody watch it last night? All right, I got a couple of them in the house. Marines? Where are we at, guys? Come on. I'll say it again. Marines? All right. I thought I'd get better at that. Apple users? Yeah, sports fans? A few years ago, I went to this. Uh, I, I was in Gaylord National Hotel in D.C. We had been to a children's museum with my brother and his kids, and there's like 12 of us rolling in there, and we walked into something called Katsu Khan. Does anybody have any idea what that is? It's like an anime convention, and everybody was dressed up as their favorite anime character. And I might even be wrong. Maybe it's not anime. Maybe it's got this like really specific category, but those people had found their people. And I wasn't it. Let me just tell you that. It's not my people. But it's, for some of you, you're like, this is my people. We gather around a common history, around a common ethnicity, around a common language, around a common national identity, around a common struggle, around a common cause. But listen, this passage shows us something, that when the day comes and God gathers His people around His throne to celebrate His work in history through Christ. They will find a unity not by demoting their identity and background or leaving their heritage or culture at the door, but by elevating a new identity. Jesus is glorified. What, what really glorifies God? Jesus is glorified when in the midst of our markers of cultural identity and belonging that we see, His name on us is what we celebrate as our highest joy. Man, no matter what you resonated with in our little exercise of talking about our people, there ought to be, if you're a Christian, a deeper way in which you see yourself as a gospel person gathered around Christ, belonging to the people that is pictured here. And it says, he looked, and what did he see? A multitude that no one could number from every nation. That means your people is a people from every nation, from all tribes. That your people is, isn't unified by a tribe or tribalism. That you are unified by something that transcends that. That's your people. Nation. Tribe. That's, that's below this exalted sense of people. Language. You know, languages divide us right now. We're unable to. You know, on the other side of the building, part of our missions effort is there's another church that we started preaching in Spanish, gathering, worshiping in Spanish, because I don't speak Spanish, and many of you don't. But there are people. There are family. And that day, they're going to be gathered around this throne. Because our people isn't just some subgroup that gathers here at Pillar Church. We are just a local body connected into a global people. And that's where our sense of deepest belonging is gathered around Jesus in his gospel. 
They'll be from many nations, but have one king around whose throne they'll be gathered. They'll speak many languages, but have one celebration in their hearts. They will represent every ethnicity, but exalt that they belong to Christ, to whom belongs blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. He is to be exalted above all things. And that idea is a driving force behind many of the things that we do here in global missions. Because as we live, we live at the far reaches of the earth from the mission Jesus gave to his disciples. When he sent them to the ends of the earth, they were coming to Dumfries. We are the nations at the far away places. And here, we want to learn to love our neighbors from all nations that live right here in our communities. Practically speaking, many of you have participated as we've served served refugees over the past few years from the crisis in Afghanistan. I'm going to ask Katie Malandrino to join me up on stage, and I want you to hear a brief story of what that has looked like in different people's lives. So can you welcome Katie? Because as we think about who are people and who are we called to serve, we know that we live in a diverse place where God has brought the nations to us. And so we have a ministry called Nations to Neighbors, where we serve refugees in our community. And uh, over the past few years, Katie got involved. Could you tell us a little bit, how did you get roped into this? (laughs) Um, Well, since last summer (laughs) for me. But um, so... It started with a simple ask. I was attending a Bible study with Joy Rogers, and she had a need for an Afghan family that needed to get school supplies for the upcoming school year for her two teenage children. And I said, I, I can help with that. I can go take them shopping and and take care of this. Started off as just one errand. <laughs> and, um, and from there, meeting um, Bibi and her family and... Um, and then they had another need, and you know she shared her story with me, and it, um, I just I felt very led to continue helping them and providing for whatever needs they needed at the time, and it just developed into more than just a help, but a relationship. Yeah, and uh, I love the fact that it was you were just asked to give one ride, and you thought yeah. that was kind of it, that's right? It. <laughs> <laughs> and you ended up here. And that's brought you all the way to the point that right now you're getting ready to sort of lead us as a church yeah. into doing some ESL for other families like that. Could you talk a little bit about what that's going to look like? Yeah, so um, because of that relationship, um, it obviously opened up what are the greater needs for them and uh, obviously language is a big need Um, and you know as Colby was saying earlier you know language is a huge connection and relationship and it's very frustrating if any of us have traveled anywhere like can't speak the language can't communicate it's just a huge breakdown and that's obviously very frustrating if you're coming to a new place and trying to live and exist in that place so uh, wanting to help bridge that gap with them and teach them English um, and also form relationships. So it fulfills a practical need, but it also fulfills a relational um, aspect as well. So we'll be starting an ESL class every Tuesday um, at the church office. 
starting this Tuesday, and there's a handful of us helping, whether leading instruction, um, helping in childcare, or providing rides. And so um, we just simply ask, obviously, for your prayer for that, that we have about, I think, about 10 women that will be coming, and that their hearts would be open to uh, relationship and to we will be you know talking about Jesus in our time together and that the practical need will be met too that they won't feel overwhelmed um, and they will be able to feel like they can connect and, and understand English more and more each week that they come um, and that uh, we could probably use one or two more other I haven't found the right word. I don't want to say teacher or, you know, because I'm looking at this very from a relational aspect. This is very casual. This is not up at a board with yeah, like lesson people that plans. are engaged, like just engaging just along with engaging. us. Just yeah. engaging, yeah. And we'll have a simple format to follow, but it's really just giving them simple sentences to say, repeat, and, um, and of course, you learn language best by conversing. Yeah. So... Um, just at a simple layout like that. Yeah, and first of all, thank you for leading us in that, and I'm really excited to see that. And, and there are opportunities for you to plug into this. There's opportunities for us to scale, the ability for us to do this for more people in our community. And you know, uh, recently you shared a story when we were at our neighbors, <coughs> our nations to neighbors training about how kind of through all this process, you had an opportunity to open up and share about your faith with a, a couple ladies through the process. How did that happen? Yeah, so the family that I know the most, um, there's two women and then one is a single mom of two teenage children. So there's four of them in this family. And um, I, I see them pretty regularly now. And um, <clears throat> so we've broken down some barriers. You know, we get to know each other as we meet. And uh, we were sharing a meal. And the two women used to be, the reason why they're over here is because they were women's rights attorneys working under the vice president. And obviously when Cabal fell, they were being targeted um, for what they had, the work they had done there. So that is why they're here. And so they have a great passion for women to not be in situations, especially in marriages that are not, um, you know, equal and respected and that sort of thing. So we were talking about the, you know, just marriage in general and, you know, the, the passion was coming out from them about, um, you know, trying to help women from these certain relationships. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, from a Christian perspective, you know, we, uh, you know, because I think, without going down too much of a rabbit hole of all this, but like, you know, just trying to understand the cultural connection of how we view marriage, how they view marriage, and especially men and women and relationship to that. And <clears throat> I was just trying to explain that, you know, Christ died for the church, and that is how men are to love their wives. It's a sacrificial love. And because there was, you know, there's a lot of sense of they feel like the women, the sense of duty and obligation and, and that it's not equal. And so I was trying to explain, you know, God's perception, God's design of marriage is to be sacrificial. And so there's a great love and respect in that. And, 
you know, it just, it was a simple segue. We, we were just sharing a meal. We were just taught, you know, well, what do you think about this? I asked them what the Quran said about this. And do you believe that? And, you know, one Bibi said, I don't believe this. And then Svita said, I do believe this. So, you know, well, why do you believe that? And it, so it's not pitting one against the other necessarily, but it is simply just asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious as well, why do you believe this? And mm -hmm. so it, it enables an opportunity like that. And, um, and I think because you help in those kind of situations where you're filling a need and you're... Um, you know, you're helping them out assimilate to this culture. It, it breaks down some walls to to have those conversations. Yeah, yeah. no, that's great. Um, you know, last week we talked about uh, how God uses us in ordinary places. And Katie, I'm just thankful for your willingness to say yes to that ride and continue <laughs> to say yes. And so we're grateful for your leadership as we uh, look to engage this ministry. And show your appreciation to Katie for sharing with us this morning. second thing we see in this passage is we get a clear picture of our purpose. You know, if we, if we think about who our people are and who we're called to serve, now we, we look at this, we get a clear picture of our purpose. We're prone as people to make rather clear and simple things overly complex. The end vision does not just come out of nowhere. This, this picture we see of these people gathered, it, it's a very simple answer. To, how, how does this happen? We don't just end up with a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multinational people of God by accident. We get the, this as the end result of what Jesus empowers his church to be faithful to do. What Jesus commands in the Great Commission, he fulfills as his body responds in obedience. You see, let me just say that again. What we see Jesus command in a passage like we read as our scripture reading this morning, what he commands in the Great Commission, his spirit empowers his people to fulfill, to bring about this end vision that we see here. This is the purpose of the church's existence. This is why we gather in mission together. Uh, this, this body that we see, this clear group of people, they're a result of the witness of those who were willing to sacrifice and suffer to make Jesus known. They're a result of the church's faithfulness to the Great Commission. Now remember, John, if you don't know this, in the book of Revelation, John is writing to an early church that is spreading the message of Jesus, spreading the gospel, just like we read in our scripture reading about this morning, in an explosive manner. But they're also experiencing genuine persecution, sacrifice, and suffering. They're not the most powerful movement. They don't have influence over the emperor. And this vision is part of a book that is intended to assure them that God will keep his promises and they will see and taste the victory of the resurrection and the fulfillment of Jesus' mission to the end. It's written to remind a group of people of what Jesus said. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So they should not shrink back from the passion of pursuing the mission of Jesus. He will empower them. Now we see this very clearly in the Great Commission's passages. There's, like, there's five really clear ones in the New Testament. I'm going to focus this in on two of them to gain a sense of our really clear purpose that is shown to us here. 
But we could also look at Acts chapter 1 in the verses in and around verse 8. We could look at John chapter 21. We could look at the end of the Gospel of Mark. But here, I just want us to look for a moment at Luke chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to highlight something. What it says is Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you're an underliner in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that phrase, all nations. I'm going to explain it in a minute because it then shows up again in Luke chapter 24. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. He opens their minds in verse 45 to understand the scriptures. He says to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead in that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So there it is twice. He's talking about the nations. That means if we want a clear vision of what Jesus guarantees, calls his people, sends his spirit to empower, if we want a clear vision of that purpose that we are to accomplish in this church and in every church, it's a disciple-making, church-planting movement that presses onward until Christ is worshipped among all peoples to the ends of the earth. That is what God calls His church to be. And so, the picture here is the fulfillment. What we read in Revelation 7 is the fulfillment of obedience and spirit-powered work that Jesus commissioned at his resurrection. They tie together. He sends them to all nations. And in the end, we see that through the empowerment of God's spirit, that the church carries the gospel to all nations on the backs of faithfully obedient disciples who are willing to proclaim it. And God's called us to participate in that mission. So the picture here is the fulfillment of Christ's purpose for the church, no matter what comes against it. If Jesus commissioned us for it, if the faithful have suffered for it, if the power of Jesus is devoted to sustaining and completing such a mission, we cannot repurpose ourselves for some other design without losing our way, which means we can't come up with our own mission separate from Jesus' great commission to all nations and and not lose our way as a church. And that mission is to multiply disciples among all people groups to the ends of the earth. The clarity of the mission is described here by the phrase, to all nations. What is meant here by all nations? We don't often reflect on English words that seem familiar. The Greek word is the word ethne. The phrase is panta ta ethne, all of the nations. And we're talking about people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. The end vision fulfills and shows us what is meant. And and, and what we're really talking about is every people group. Missiologists, people who study missions, missiologists use the term people group to describe this word. Now, I'm not going to belabor the point, but here's a good definition of what it means to carry the gospel to the nations and who we're talking about. Here's here's what we're talking about when we're talking about a people group. I want you to kind of tie into a few ideas in missions that should drive us and compel us, that should shift how we think. First, what is a people group? A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church-planting movement without real barriers of language and culture. 
So here when he says nations, notice he's not talking about geographic entities. He's talking about peoples. The best, the best way to translate it would be among all peoples. Well, what here is a people? What is an ethnicity? Well, here we have ethnic linguistic people groups defined this way as a group of people who can gather around common language and culture who don't have barriers of meaning. So the gospel can move through it and establish it among them. So researchers believe there are 11,730 distinct people groups in the world, of which 6,692 are considered unreached people groups with the gospel. 6,692. Unreached. Well, what do we mean? So, so what we got here is people group. We've got this, this, this single group, which is a container of language and culture that the gospel can move through unhindered. There's 11,000 plus of them. And research shows that about 6,600 of them are considered unreached people groups. When we talk about an unreached people group, we're not just saying there's a lot of people among them that don't know the gospel. It's actually a technical term. Unreached people group means that there are less than 2% of those, those people that are devoted to following Christ. Less than 2% of those 6,600 groups. That percentage, 2%, is a research percentage. It's the level above which a self-sustaining movement can take root. It's what we call the indigenous movement line in missions. So you get over 2%, they start to be able to resource and empower themselves for the gospel to move through that people group. Under 2%, they need other people from the outside to continue to press in to help sow gospel seed among that people group and see churches planted. And so when we talk about an unreached people group, not just a low-reached people group, an unreached people group is below that 2%, which means somebody needs to answer the call to resource that place with the preaching of the gospel to give people access to hearing it so a movement can happen. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about an unreached people group. Now, there's one more term I'd like you to understand is unengaged unreached people group. There are about 3,000 plus of those 6,600 that are considered unengaged peoples around the world. I know it's hard in our technological time with cell phones and everything to imagine there are people who have no access to the gospel of Jesus, but this is what we're talking about. When we say they are unengaged, we mean that there has been no church planning work in the past two years among this unreached people group. That there is no known effort to engage them with the gospel. So the clarity of this mission to reach the unreached people groups of the world is what fuels the heart of missions. And I want you to understand it because it is what stands behind important decisions about who we are as a church and what we celebrate. I want you to have a biblical theology to make sense of why some people would answer the call to uproot their lives from the comforts of what they know to go live among a group of unreached people to make Jesus known. I want to make sense of why it is critical for us to support them when they do. Now we have the opportunity today to have a special guest with us. Amanda McKinney is here. Amanda, I'm going to invite you up. She is one of our missionaries to Pucallpa, Peru, serving among deaf high school students particularly. Welcome, Amanda. Amanda's going to share a little bit 
about how she answered the call to do this very thing. So I'm going to give you the podium. That way you can have that. Good morning. Um, so hi, as Colby said, um, I work with the deaf community who, if you've looked at the list of unreached people groups, they're on that list. Uh, the deaf community of, any, of every spoken language is now considered, is now on the list and recognized as its own people group, and the majority of them are unreached because of, as you've mentioned, the language barrier. Many of them don't even have language, and so someone has to go and teach them their own language, which is sign language, and then educate them and share the gospel with them. So um, the Lord worked in my heart as I was a college student is when it first started, and I was exposed to the concept of and the idea of working with the deaf in Peru. I had a teacher who was actually involved with ministry with the deaf in Peru. And so years later, it, I, that was when I was first exposed to the concept and the idea, but the Lord didn't have, have me ready for that yet. But years later, uh, I was working as an interpreter, a sign language interpreter in the D.C. metro area, and I just fell in, I fell in love with the language. I fell in love with the people, and I just started actively seeking the Lord's will for how to use it to serve him. Um, he had to grow me a lot in being willing and open to go wherever he wanted me to go and do what, whatever he wanted me to do within that ministry. Um, but as I sought him and sought to be willing and looked into whatever door came along and, and possibility, Peru kept popping back up. And the Lord connected me with individuals who were leading trips to Peru, not working with the deaf, but it brought Peru back on, the, on my horizon and, and my thought process. And as I was actively seeking him over a three-year period of like, Lord, I want to serve you with this. I, wanna I want you to use me in a more active gospel outreach opportunity in ministry. He was forming my heart and changing my heart to be willing and open to the missions because I was terrified at first. Um, I, the idea of being dependent on others and I'm going out alone because I've been single my whole life. So it gave me the freedom for one, but also it's, it's, it's terrifying. I, that's not what the Lord wants for you. But he was doing an amazing work in my heart as I was open and willing and desiring to obey him and be available for him. And in 2012, he did that. He, through, the, through just uh, a lot of prayer um, and seeking his will, he led me to pursue missions to the deaf in Peru. And with the um, leadership, under the leadership of my home church and confirmation through a lot of other people, I was very, very blessed to be able to move to Peru in 2016 and begin serving in Pucallpa, which is a town in the jungle, um, I'm in the jungle side of Peru, uh, serving the deaf there. There's a, a Peruvian evangelical association that I live and work with, and we have a very, very large population of individuals with disabilities that we serve, all disabilities. So it's not just a deaf school. We have all disabilities, anything you can think of. We, we've had kids come and, and youth come through our schools, um, and I am just so incredibly blessed. We have primary kids and, and secondary, but our secondary class has... Um, exploded, and so I have been so extremely blessed to be able to just hang out and do life with deaf teenagers and be able to speak into their lives um, and see them grow. And one of the a verse that um, I just want to share with y'all that the Lord just impressed upon my heart through this entire journey is Romans ten fourteen to fifteen, which many people know. It's a common verse that's used in missions, but it just it spoke to my heart, and and I'll share with you why. But it says to remind us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We hear that all the time, but that one part, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Literally, my kids have never heard about him. Um, it's not just that no one's shared. They have no language. They show up in our classroom without language. I have to teach them their own language first before I can share with them the gospel. Their own families don't know how to communicate with them. Their community doesn't. They're very isolated. And what a beautiful extension of the gospel to be able to not just go in and share the gospel because we know their language, but to teach them their own language and be able to go in and, in, and input into their lives and let them into your life and um, be able to be an example of Christ to them and see them transformed. And I've been doing this. The Lord's blessed me to be able to be on the field now for eight years. Um, and I have, I have grown, I feel, more than these kids. I've been very blessed to see five of the youth come to know the Lord mm -hmm. in my time there. And they continue growing. It's amazing. But I feel like I've grown more than, than they have. Um, as the years progress and I continue to seek to obey him and honor the Lord in everything that I do where he has me, which happens to still be in the jungle, um, I have been immensely blessed by those that I went to serve. Um, they have become my best friends. Their parents have become people that I do spiritual warfare with. And it's, it's been a huge blessing to me, I think more, way, way more than I've been to them. Through being obedient, open, and present where I am, I have learned to be available for the stream of interruptions um, in life that just cause us to pause. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. Literally, that's where the most beautiful moments of mentorship and discipleship happen is when you allow and are open to the interruptions, when someone shows up at your door, when all of a sudden my goddaughter wants to have a conversation at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, she's a night person. I am not. But uh, being open and available to that is one of the most beautiful moments of connection and just speaking Jesus to them has been allowed to happen. I personally have grown immensely in patience, love for others, empathy, um, just understanding, and so much more through being obedient and just trying to be present and obedient where he has me. And through growing in my reliance on the Lord to help me learn and adapt to all the differences and interruptions, I have been blessed personally with a more intimate, beautiful, and just relationship and faith with my Jesus. Um, he has been so incredibly gracious and kind to me. But it was through just being available, being open, and seeking him, desiring to serve him wherever he wanted, and not putting my agenda first. So, wow, thank, thank you. you. Amanda's in town on, uh, on break and getting ready to uh, transition back soon. Yes, you can have a seat. Um, and uh, she's here today. Listen, some of y'all ought to go spend some time with her and see what's going on. And, and we'd love to help you figure out uh, how to do that. Uh, but I wanted, you to, I wanted you to hear examples this morning of what we're talking about. And, you know, it's a beautiful uh, story she shared and, and testimony of, uh, of this one fact that I've discovered, too. When we participate in the mission of the gospel, the gospel produces its fruit in us. And for some of you, your next sense of growth and the fruit really being produced in you is being willing to participate in that mission with God. So why does this theological clarity matter that we've been looking at today? Because every one of us are a piece of the puzzle. You know, the puzzle at Christmas that I mentioned when we began 
uh, ended up in a big disappointment. Uh, it turned out that there were pieces missing. We weren't able to complete it. It reminded me that with Christ, there are no missing pieces when it comes to the end vision. You may not yet know how your piece matters. It may not be going. It may be sending, supporting, praying, engaging at home to the people that God has brought around us. But we have this mission to complete this picture, and every one of our lives fits in. And what makes it significant is not our individual story, but the invitation of the Lamb to come and know the blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and power and might of our God in His saving work as we offer our lives until every nation is gathered around His throne. And I want you to know, I want you to know who you are today. If you're a Christian here gathered a part of this body, you are a member of a global community gathered together by Jesus to know him and to make him known among all peoples. That is who we are. Just by being a part of this church, you are participating in that. Here's what you've been able to be involved in by just being a vital part of this church. You may not have seen it, and because we have so much turnover, I think it's important to highlight and celebrate what God has allowed us to be a part of. You've been a part of sending two young adults currently thriving on the field in Albania and Macedonia. You've been a part of starting and supporting two growing church plants in Bali, Indonesia. You've been a part of the founding of the Iceland Project and the growth of Lofstoven Baptistakirka in, in Reykjavik, Iceland. Last year, we were able to support a team that ministered there alongside them. You've been a part of the support of Manda McKinney among the deaf in Pucallpa, Peru. You've been a part of strengthening the church, Chemin Nouveau, in Normandy, France, through two significant short-term trips the past two years. I just saw a picture this week of their last gathering, and I was blown away by what God is doing there. You've been a part of a nations-to-neighbors ministry that's given over $25,000 in practical support to refugees in our community and countless hours of care and personal support that so many of you have have been a part of fulfilling. You've been a part of supporting through our giving, our partners with the International Mission Board and 3,500 missionaries worldwide who count on churches like us for their resources to serve in the places that God has sent them. Because we are not just individuals gathered here today. We're part of a global body that God is gathering together to bless the nations with the hope and the fruits of the gospel. And by being a part of a local church that cares about what we've been talking about this morning, you get to be a part in serious ways of doing that and walk deeper and deeper in to the different ways that you can serve. And so, you know, this year I, I want to encourage you to think of a couple things that you could do next. This is not intended, to, wasn't intended to be a sermon so much about all the things you can do, but about us having the heart to be ready for the things that God is going to call us. But there are three things we want to see happen this year, and I just want to mention those. The first is I want to see us engaged locally through ESL, like Katie was talking about, that we would, we would do an effective job ministering to people in our community using ESL as we help people among, the, among our community from the nations become our neighbors and hear the gospel of Jesus. So I want you to be engaged in that. I want you to find out how you can support uh, what Katie is leading there's also opportunities to go internationally through three Iceland uh, project trips. So we're taking a group of men April 24th through 30th to, uh, to lead a men's retreat. Our youth are going in June 
Um, there's still a slot open of a need for a woman to, to, to go along and be a part, uh, helping with our girls that are on that trip. And then in the fall, Lord willing, we'll be able to send a group of women to help lead a women's retreat. And, and so there's opportunities to, to go globally. Uh, we're going to be hosting later in the spring just a, a discovery day where you can find out the opportunities for going internationally through the International Mission Board. So I, I want us to explore those things and be a part of going. And then lastly, you can grow our capacity by being trained to lead a future trip. One of the biggest limiters we have to engaging with our missions partners overseas that we have, many of whom I've mentioned today, is that we don't have ready people in our congregation who, who have prepared themselves to be able to lead others over there to serve them. And so we want to we take time to grow our capacity this year by developing people from our congregation who can lead mission trips to support and take others along to do that. And so, this passage gives us a clear picture of our mission in ways that we are a part of it and can be a part of it. And as we get ready to, cons- to share in the Lord's Supper together, it gives us a clear picture of our promise. In the midst of the unfulfilled promises of all of our cultures, in the midst of the shattered dreams of every nation, there's a God who saves, who has sent His Son Jesus to redeem people, And proclaim to them that their sins can be forgiven. They can be reconciled to a relationship with him. In this picture, they celebrate the salvation of the Lamb, of Jesus Christ. If you look down in verses 15 through 17, it says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, sermon day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And what it means is that there's a day when the mission is over, and we enjoy the fruits of God's promises. But it also means that the mission is now. Today is the day to sacrifice and to shed the tears and and to separate ourselves for the calling that God has given, even if it means sacrifice and suffering. Because then there's a day coming where we enter into the rest and the promise of the gospel. Not because of what we've accomplished, but because Jesus laid down his life to gather us around his throne. To be his people. I want to ask you to bow your heads as we go into a time of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would give us fresh vision and energy for how you want to deepen our heart for the nations as we've seen yours. Lord, I pray that you would be stirring even now in the hearts of each person here just a sense of how their life can fit into your mission. Of why their ongoing faithfulness and obedience to give a ride to a family and a community to wrestle out a calling. Why it matters. And how it fits into what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for seeking us and finding us among the peoples of the world, and rescuing us with the gospel. We pray that you would do it through us. In Jesus' name, amen.
In a moment, we're going to share in the bread and the cup. The elements will be distributed as we sing a final song. And we'll remember what is pictured in the elements, that Jesus' body was broken so that it could be distributed. And as we share in this, we're sharing in, in receiving that calling and identity as a people who distribute the hope of the gospel. Because Jesus' blood that was shed has covered our sins, and we are inviting others to know that they can be reconciled to him. Let's stand as we sing.